Welcome to iFollow. Welcome to iFollow. It is sun. It is Monday now. We're recording a day later than normal. I'm already messing up. Um, we have a lot that happened this week, and simultaneously nothing that happened this week. Um, <laughs> go figure. We have some news from Facebook. Um, some more information about the Falcon 9 launch that happened. Uh, some more news with Google and Huawei and some information about Apple, as well as some new APUs from Ryzen. Uh, I'm joined today by my four favorite people, Sans Kyle, Irvin, and my, my three favorite people, myself not included. <laughs> that, was, that was awful. Um, Ryan, Irvin, and Jeff. How's it going, guys? Going good, man. Happy, happy going, going very good. Yeah, yeah. On this day where we worship our president. On the day of worship, <laughs> um, but in the in the in the essence of not keeping it political, let's get into the first topic. Um, so the German court ruled Facebook's use of personal data was illegal. So um, evidently, Facebook, according to Germany, is not good enough at securing the informed consent of its users. And uh, we've seen stuff like this from the European Union and um, Germany as and France in particular about personally identifiable information and Europe's right to be forgotten that they've implemented that Silicon Valley has to follow. But I'm curious to know if any of you guys have any thoughts on this, because this is uh, just another take on a country restricting um, the social media platforms collection of information about its citizens. You guys have anything you wanted to discuss on this one? Yeah, this is particular to sensitive personal information that enables the micro-targeting of online advertisement. So, like, you can advertising can reach out. I want to reach uh, males who live in Germany who are between the ages of twenty and twenty-five and uh, like this page on Facebook, and uh, so I want to target those particular people. It's not adequately capturing the consent of that information over to Facebook. From users um, in Germany, um, I know Germany has been, like you mentioned, Matt has been huge on protecting the privacy of its users. So right. now it's ruled it illegal for Facebook to use that information for advertising purposes in the country of. Yeah, and now with more Germany. than two billion people who use Facebook worldwide, they have to start catering individually to countries and understanding that there are other places with more strict rules and. I mean, whether it's right or wrong, that's not up to us to debate whether uh, Germany's privacy th um, policies are, like, I don't know, if they, if they make sense or if they're not correct, but that's that's not our place. But Facebook does need to appeal to these, um, to these rules. And apparently it says it's actually even going to take this to court. They're appealing this, yep. this law. So... Um, it looks like that they're not willing to cater. They're going to uh, kind of stick with their guns. Of course they're not. Why yeah. would they? <laughs> yeah. They have, they have the option to appeal. They're, of course, they're going to do that. They're um, going to miss out on all that juicy, sweet ad data. Yeah. <laughs> and this also affects not just Facebook, but Instagram and WhatsApp as well, because they're both owned by uh, Facebook. Yeah. Well, and having used the ad platform on Facebook, it is, you can narrow it down to a very, very small demographic of people in a very small yeah. section of the world mm -hmm. so it's like 
I can see how this could be a little bit uh, dicey to some of the more privacy-focused countries in the world. So, I mean, I think that um, my personal opinion is that uh, people should have the right to be forgotten, and that's fine. But uh, some countries take it a little further than others. And um, I don't think Germany is at fault here for wanting to protect the privacy of its citizens. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's a step in the right direction. They're trying mm-hmm. to set a precedent here, but who else are they going to take down next? There's a lot of the tech giants out there collecting all this data. Yeah. And like, I mean, yeah, like you said, like what's next, basically, that that like it comes down to how else is Facebook going to try to get that data if they can't get it through personally identifiable information? Yeah, but yeah. De- devil's advocate here, if you're joining a social media platform and you're posting, hey, I like monster energy drinks on the Internet, like why shouldn't they be able to take that information and use it? I don't know. I feel like when you yeah. maybe maybe they need 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 to make it more known when you enroll in Facebook or when you enter information that hey this is going to get used in this way. Maybe yeah. that's what they're looking for here. But have you ever viewed your ad profile on Facebook? <sighs> I think I have in the past, but not recently. Yeah, it's oh. kind of creepy like yeah. how much their ad platform knows about you based on just things you like and stuff you've posted about and mm-hmm. i encourage anybody listening who hasn't done that to at least go check it out and also yeah, yeah. also another tip that i did earlier this week um i was I, i've been debating on actually just getting rid of my facebook account and um, um one of the things that facebook offers is the ability to download all the data that they have about you yep uh, so i initiated that um earlier in the week and i downloaded it, it comes with just a zip file on your computer and you can just click on an index.html file that opens like this internal web page where you can browse all the posts you've done, every mm-hmm. all the pages that you've liked, um, all the pictures you've uploaded. And a lot, there's a lot of information in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy how much information I went back to like my very first post on Facebook back in 2007, I think it was. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Um, Did they have retroactive uh, geotagging in there? Did you see yeah. that? So uh, one thing that I noticed about geotagging is that um, it captures for any pictures that you uploaded through the Facebook app, you know, and when you take it on your phone, it captures the location. Mm-hmm. Um, it contained all that information. So I looked at the picture that I took back in 2009 and had the exact GPS coordinates of where that picture was taken oh and had God. like all the information, like the ISO, F number. You can't even view that information on Facebook, <laughs> on the on the web, but you it collects that. It's still there. That's oh, nuts. Yeah. One, another one interesting uh, information that I saw in there is contact information for all my friends that I had. So I, I had, because... Uh, when you use the messenger app this sort of i think tricks people into uploading their contacts um to facebook so when you get the facebook messenger app it asks hey do you want to sync all your friends so that we'll notify you when whenever your a new friend joins facebook messenger so you can communicate them with there if you say yes it actually uploads your entire contacts um to facebook to when i view this data i actually had for certain of my friends, their phone number, addresses, um, anything that I had in my contacts, in my um, contacts book, and oh was just listing it there. Like Facebook has that information, which is kind of crazy. It is really yeah, crazy. That's disturbing. <laughs> and there's a lot of people who will just say yes to all of those things. Like, right. Yes, yes, allow, go ahead, sure. And I but, did apparently at one point, and it's now up there for, I can't get, I don't know how to get rid of it, how to remove it from Facebook, but they already know. So it's you, like, you, yeah, you don't because now they own that information. Yeah. 
for those Oops. people who don't want to delete Facebook, something that I did and I'm probably going to continue doing is since I use Facebook to like keep in touch with family and for events and things like that, just I don't really post on it or do anything. I share Instagram to it. Um, every once in a while, just delete your Facebook and make a new one. Just recycle your whole profile. Hmm. Just I mean, you st you're still on Facebook. All your people who you know basically just have to refriend you, and you can just send them a friend request, and it's not a big deal. Um, it gets rid of people you never talked to, and then it also lets you start fresh because that's what I did before. Uh, once I graduated college, I deleted my old Facebook and started over just to have like a fresh professional account or like normal account, I guess. Sounds like a, so, uh, attention seeking behavior, Matt. <laughs> no, but i just like feeling new and fresh it doesn't it doesn't like solve the problem of facebook having your information no. in that route but i get what you're so i get what you're saying yeah it deletes um, all the old stuff see my personal approach would be to start posting anything and everything that you want so that all your information and data loses credibility and then they can't really make anything out of it so, information over yeah so just like a bunch of pages about clowns or something like that and yeah. i don't know <laughs> He said he's a vegan, but he likes a lot of posts by all these hamburger companies. Yeah, exactly. And he's also apparently checked in to 50 Outbacks in five different states. Is this guy on a road trip just to go to every Outback steakhouse? Yes. Uh, Travel anyway. the country just to see the out Go to the Outback yeah. to see the Outback. Well, this topic has degraded. I say we move on. Yeah. But, um... Speaking of uh, Facebook tracking your stuff, uh, they secretly, well, not secretly, so they, it's been public that they bought sort of this VPN service uh, a while back, a couple of years ago, and now they've launched uh, an app, a VPN, but it has no Facebook um, name associated with it in the app store. So if you download this, they started advertising it within their Facebook app. So like, hey, if you want to secure your internet connection, uh, download this VPN client. Um, and if you do, uh, you give it access to uh, track you exactly what websites you visit, what apps you're using, if you're using this VPN service, and you can set it'll send that information directly to Facebook, and it's listed in their terms of service. So you don't, if you don't read that carefully, um, yeah, you'll be just giving even more information to Facebook to follow you along the web, not just when you're using Facebook. Um, yeah. So so this app is called Anavo. Uh, uh, so if you see it in the app store, you see it advertised to you within uh, the, uh, currently it's in the iOS app because it only launched, um, um, I think it's only launched on iOS, yeah, not yet, not actually, on Android yet. I'm actually checking on my app right now to see if it's um, Yeah, don't download it, don't use it. Yes, so following on our last topic, if, if you don't like the information Facebook already has on you, this is going to make it 10 times worse. Uh, if you use this app or if you disagree with us and you like Facebook having all of your life's information then go ahead and download it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who are we to judge? But, um, but yeah, it's, it's not available on Android. I can't find it in my app. So I'm presuming it is only yeah. in iOS. And, and Urban, maybe you can confirm that for us since you now have an iPhone. But yeah, this is, this, this is a VPN by being the exact opposite of a VPN. <laughs> Right. If you want to protect of people tracking um, where you are <laughs> yeah. browsing the internet, um, 
yeah this will do the opposite and send all that information to mark zuckerberg yeah honestly also if you're um this this kind of extends into a deeper conversation about vpns themselves and like basically the short story is you get what you pay for with a vpn and if you're going to rely off of a service that is through facebook i don't think they charge for this either i think it's a free vpn yep. service right yeah so Basically, you're paying by having your ad profile sold to everybody who wants it. Yep. So the only way to be sure you're getting a solid VPN is by paying for it. And there's some that are better than others. The best, in my opinion, being private internet access. Um, and as a disclosure, they're not a sponsor in any way. This is just my personal opinion on the matter. Um, but yeah, they... It's... You get what you pay for it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> so, but, um, but yeah, so like people who, if you want to use it, um, uh, there's not even just private internet access. There's tens of thousands of them. Yeah. So I just searched for PIA VPN on the app store because I didn't have it downloaded. Um, and the first ad that comes up is for Onava, <laughs> Onava oh Protect <laughs> before <laughs> PIA actually is listed in the, this is the iOS app store. It's beyond. Yeah. Oh man. And um, I didn't even notice this. The article itself does mention private internet access, but um, they also have more information at the bottom on how a VPN can work through uh, the description provided by the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Yep. They do a good job summarizing uh, VPNs and how important they can be. Um, but yeah, um, just know that this is a, a PSA to anybody. Um, not only is updating your printer drivers important, but so is paying for a, a VPN. That's something that you need to do. Um, don't get one for free because it's there's a lot that are out there that are hot garbage. Yep. But um, speaking of hot garbage, <laughs> Skype um, is going through <laughs> is going through some problems. They um, there's a there's a huge bug that just got discovered in Skype that can allow uh, a malicious attacker to use the Skype updater profile to send a malicious DLL in place of an actual Skype updater file to your computer. And um, they can do pretty much anything with that. Uh, so so that, that that's fun. Skype is... Uh, right. But that's not even the best part. Yeah, and that's not even the best part. <laughs> Microsoft has says, yeah, we're uh, going to take too much work to fix this. And we're, so we're just not going to do it. <laughs> we're going to won't fix it. <laughs> market as won't fix because it apparently uh, re will require a full rewrite of the entire skype uh, application um on both mac os and as well as um windows so they're just like nah yeah we're not gonna do it yeah which... they say that they do mention that they're gonna undergo a major revision later in which it will eventually get fixed but um this was after according to the article when they were said they could reproduce the bug in their skype so basically just don't update skype anymore really <laughs> i've been well. telling people that for years well which skype is it affecting just all skype or is skype for business and the original skype or i think like, it's just skype just yeah. regular personal just regular skype. skype for business is just the only relation between skype for business and regular skype is the name, the name. And yeah, it was back. link right yeah, yeah it was built on link yeah it's just a rebranding of link a lot of even the source URLs and stuff still reference Link for Skype yeah. for business. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I guess Link is still safe. Yeah. <laughs> as safe as you can get. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming that um, Microsoft's attention right now is 
on fancy new skins for Skype and Microsoft Teams at the moment. They could care less about the platform that Skype has been built on for years. Yeah. Oh, well. It is what it is. We're in a world where people refuse to fix their bugs. I mean, there's um, so many bugs they have to, like, prioritize. So I get it. It'll... Yeah, it, it is a lot of work to rewrite an entire application, but if it's something this serious, I would hope that Microsoft would be putting all the engineers that it can to fix it. But I guess, yeah. I mean, they have to, I, I get it. You have to, you have so certain things you still have to work on, but you can't afford to do that. But yeah, I wish well, they would prioritize. You know what they're probably doing? Stuff. They're probably fixing this Microsoft Edge bug that was found but, <laughs> yeah they have all those engineers uh, yeah this one so google's project zero team um which is a pretty good team at finding bugs one of the members of that team includes uh, and we've mentioned his name on the show before for finding bugs tavis ormandy he's one of the um researchers who is on this and he's found major like critical flaws in twitter and LastPass and uh, basically, if Tavis sets his eyes on your program, <laughs> you're going to have some major flaws uncovered. Um, a bunch of people have also joked that he comes up with his best bugs while showering. So, <laughs> so every time he showers, he takes down another corporation for a giant zero-day bug. But um, yeah, so it's a medium-level security issue within the Edge browser. Um, the, it has to do with how Microsoft Edge deals with its code execution and because of that a hacker could bypass the security features and place malicious code in the memory of the target computer so it's kind of in the same light as skype just not through an updater it's just through um, injecting malicious code into the browser but um, it's uh apparently they notified them back in november but they haven't fixed it yet so yeah <laughs> either so to, yeah so to the typical um way that this uh works is that the people who find these zero day bugs uh, will give 90 day notice before they actually mm -hmm. making the information public. And after that 90 days, uh, they're just going to release it to everyone, anyone who wants to find more information about it. And that's what happened in 90 days. Microsoft hasn't addressed this issue and uh, Google just released it because that's the policy that they follow. And that not, not just Google follows that policy, pretty much everyone in the industry. That's the standard is yeah. give it 90 days. Um, for the fix and uh, Google uh, Microsoft is not very happy and they have previously taken issue with this type of practice of just giving 90 days I mean I feel like 90 days is sufficient of a notice mm. yeah also how many of you guys actually use edge on a regular basis Negative. <laughs> so, Absolutely not. I mean I'd be curious to see the the metrics on the usage of this and base and how minimal of an impact because I can't imagine that Microsoft Edge has that big of a Market. Yeah, the number one browsed website on Microsoft Edge is google.com slash <laughs> I can confirm that is the only site that I've gone to on Edge, aside from when like some URLs randomly open from within like a, a search on the Windows computer. It opens up yeah. the Edge automatically, but I use it to download Chrome. That's all I do. Hey, but it's probably still used in... <laughs> it's still getting used in uh, S mode, right? Yeah. So if you have a Windows 10 yeah, yeah, then you're going to use it. <laughs> it reminds me of the Rick and Morty of the robot that just hands out butter. And just like, <laughs> what is my purpose? <laughs> Download Chrome. Oh, that was a that was a meme. It was great. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh god i don't know i mean microsoft apparently saying there's 330 million edge users <laughs> but like i feel like half more than half of those are probably like you turned on your computer and edge was there so that's a use yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean like one of them active yeah. chrome downloads yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> i mean if you're just using a you just get a windows laptop right you're if you just want to access the internet i think most i mean majority of like just normal people wouldn't go out of their way to use Chrome, right? If that's all they need, like it'll access yeah. your email and Facebook. And that's what pretty much everybody uses a computer for. Yeah. And then going on your bank account, I mean, that's enough. Yeah. If you got I know a, people who associate the Internet Explorer button with the Internet itself. Right. If, if yeah. you got to go check your Hotmail real quick, you might as well <laughs> stick with Edge. Oh, <laughs> I have a funny story. Some One time I was uh, helping someone fix their computer and they were still using Interfix for it. So like, here, try this new thing called Chrome. They're like, no, I, I want to use the internet. So what I did is just replace the icon of Chrome to be Internet Explorer <laughs> under desktop. Just change the icon. So I forced and, them. To, and that lasted, I'm not going to lie. I did that exact same thing. And that lasted until the first Chrome update where it replaced the icon. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that exact same thing. Even better, Jeff, you can circumvent that with a shortcut. Just rename this, this change the shortcuts icon. Yeah, or survives you, updates. Or maybe like a, a task get schedule where you replace mm -hmm. the icon file. Just yeah, just our shell script and something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like I just wanted you to fix my Wi-Fi. Why are you writing a PowerShell script? <laughs> what are you doing? It's like all right, I'm fixing the internet. Don't worry, I know what I'm doing. Oh man, but um, yeah. Don't use Huawei phones. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, correct. the heads of the FBI, CIA, and NSA say that they're a little bit worried about Huawei, um, and. For those people who aren't familiar, Huawei is actually past Apple as uh, one of the world's largest manufacturers of phones. Granted, they largely cater to the Asian market, so uh, people in the U.S. may not see much of them. But in recent uh, CES uh, conferences and tech reports, um, they are trying to make a push into the U.S., but it's... It's being met with um, some pushback from the intelligence community, yeah, so they're they've kind of long been a little bit wary of Huawei. Because if I'm correct, isn't Huawei like a government uh, sector company, or they're kind of they have some deep ties in the Chinese government? Well, yeah. If yeah. you're if you're wondering in what way you should be wary of Huawei, um, it's because it's, <laughs> <laughs> it was founded by a former engineer, the China's People's Liberation Army. So uh, okay. U.S. politicians and government agencies kind of see it as like part of the Chinese government. Um, mm -hmm. So thus it is basically an extension of their foreign policy or desires into the consumer electronics market. Um, so that's that's where this fear and skepticism comes from. Yeah. And they had a deal um, lined up right before CES uh, to launch, have a big, this huge launch for their um, Mate 10. Think Huawei Mate 10. Um, yeah, the Mate 10, the Mate 10 Pro, the P10, um, the Huawei P10, the huge launch, and they had a deal lined up with AT and T, and also the, the Verizon as well. I think was part of that um, to launch because in the US it's it's quite different phone market than anywhere else in the world. It's fairly carrier, but most people get their phones through through their carrier. So if you don't have a, a contract with one of these major carriers, your likelihood of succeeding in launching a phone is fairly 
um, low. So they had this deal lined up with AT&T and AT&T pulled out last minute according to recommendations from certain government um, people Entities, to say yeah. that there might be issues with the size security. Um, and now we have official word from people in the FEICA and the NSA saying, yeah, don't use Huawei phones. Yeah, and this, it's kind of an extension on the the ban of the government contracts, the use of their phones in government contracts in 2014. So like, this isn't the first time that we've seen these hacks, from, or not these hacks, these um, these bans from of Huawei products in the mm -hmm. United States. Well, yeah. it's, um, it's I know Huawei makes huge like internet switches that were used for backend. Mm -hmm. um, and then there were some certain concerns brought up when that was found out that potentially Huawei could have ties back to the Chinese government. Yeah, when if you have a bunch of consumers, uh, Americans in particular, who have these devices, basically they have a camera and microphone that gets routed directly to China, allegedly. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And that's also like any information transmitted or entered on those devices would be able to be stolen. Mm -hmm. So basically, and, I mean, it's it's have, basically like a okay. like it's basically like I don't know a, a spied a spied net almost of devices. Yeah, potentially they're worried about um, the just mass data collection from all these devices, and and also something that's important to note is that it's Huawei and the company ZTE as well. Um, the ZTE I think had a push in the United States with their Axon phone lines. Um, I think the Axon Pro, I think, was one of them or something like that. Hmm. I'm not super familiar with that line of phones, but um, but they they have responded officially saying that they are complying with all the rules for being a publicly traded company in the U.S. market, and um, they're they share a common goal. Um, and so is ZTE. They've also publicly stated that they're doing everything that they can to be compliant with U.S. law. So it could be a bit of technophobia about Chinese companies because there are some companies that have already penetrated into U.S. markets, like OnePlus, for example. Um, and I think there's a, another one, but I can't think of it off. Um, maybe Blue. I think Blue is a Chinese phone company also. Yeah, but they've been caught of putting spyware on their phones. Yeah. So where's, so. The, where's that? Where, where, where's the attention there? My question is, why is there no regulatory presence from the U.S. government? before these phones even enter the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or like having them checked to be audited, like auditable, um, like back end, like making yeah. sure the data leaving the phone is... Right. Can you just right. capture every data with Wireshark and, and see where it's going? Yeah. Like where that data is, what, what's being accessed? Well, not, right. only, not only that, but I mean, you were hitting at this, other countries are producing products that we're using and they're following some sort of standard that's acceptable by the U.S. So is it just because China doesn't agree with us on a lot of issues and that's the main concern or are they refusing to follow the same regulations other countries are? Yeah, or, right. Would we be seeing the same kind of uh, pushback if it was, say, like a Russian phone company instead or um, <laughs> something else? Like, would we be seeing something similar? Like, I... I, I'm I'm kind of miffed about how I should feel about this because it, as far as I've concerned, I've owned a Huawei device and it was one of the best made phones that I've ever had. Really? Um, in the Nexus 6P, like that phone was, hmm. they had a fantastic build and there's still a, a community of people who are dedicated to keeping that phone and restoring and repairing it as it runs into hardware issues. But one difference between that and this Huawei phone is that the OS for the 6P was controlled by Google. 
right? It was right. released by Google. Yeah. It wasn't made. So you would tr you think you would trust Google to not put anything that would. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's not just the phones. I know we mentioned it in earlier episodes. It was the DJI uh, drones as well. Yeah. This yeah. is not the first instance of Chinese penetration. <laughs> yeah. Right. Didn't they ban DJI uh, drones from being used on by the military? Yeah, yep. the US Army banned it. Yeah. yeah. It's still used for things like surveyors and mm -hmm. like national parks associations. People use drones to get aerial footage of the park or, um, and even for people like hobby photographers. I know yeah. a couple of those. Uh, <laughs> Same here. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's something that I, I think that it's something that could be regulated and just a flat out ban, I think, is kind of a technophobic approach. No, I agree. Regulation, but why is nothing so far? There's been no steps toward it. <laughs> and every day there's like a new instance of market penetration. Yeah. But, um, it, I mean, either way, but there's to, to move on to another topic for the sake of time. Um, the Chrome uh, ad blocker, we talked about this a while ago on a couple of episodes. Uh, one recently, I think, Jeff, you said it was episode 36 was the one that we mentioned it was going to be rolling out on. That's right. Uh, yeah, well, now we have a date. So February 15th. Um, which was a couple days ago. Which was, yes, it was earlier. Um, this article came out on Valentine's Day. So they revealed they were working on a built-in ad blocker from Chrome. And I know we've seen it show up in some of the Canary versions of Chrome as well mm -hmm. um, in the weeks coming up to this. Um, but this is a all-around ban of ads that do not follow um, the definitions provided by the Coalition for Better Ads, which is a third-party association um, with uh, that has worked with some of the major uh, tech companies in this space. So some of the pop-ups that they'll be blocking and ads that they'll be blocking is, um, and some of this can come to much of Urban's celebration pop-ups, animated or audio or auto-playing ads, scrollovers, large banners, um, some of the ones auto-playing video ads with sound, which is a, a big win for you. Um, yes. And like those large sticky ads and flashing animated ads that pop up on phones. Um, the worst. They are. They're actually the ones like I hate the ones where you're on a website and you have to scroll past the ad and it moves like it yeah. slowly and excruciatingly drags across the screen. Yep. Looking at you, Washington Post. <laughs> and, yeah. And the good thing it is about this, it doesn't exclude AdSense, which is Google's own ad network uh, from yeah. this list. So if there's any ads provided by AdSense that violate these rules, Google, uh, Chrome will still block it. Yeah. Um, so I think this is great overall to make it because Chrome is now the majority browser that is used um, around the world. So it'll affect how um, uh, advertisers or, or websites now do their advertisement to make it a better overall, better experience for the user. Because it does really, especially on mobile, that, yeah. that it just ruins the experience of browsing a website. Um, right. Hopefully this will... Um, make it a lot better, improve that quality uh, for the ads. Well, um, it looks like it's working per the, yeah. what the article said at the very bottom. Yeah. They mentioned that uh, as of February 12th, which is before the release, 42% mm -hmm. of the sites that were identified as failing by the coalition standards have resolved those problems. 
Of course, it's just, it's in their best interest to do so because if you're gonna get blocked by Chrome, which is the, now, like I mentioned, the majority web browser on the, on the internet, you're gonna mm -hmm. lose out on a lot of ad revenue. Which um, is good. That yes. is it better for the consumer? It's better for right. them. It makes the internet a overall more enjoyable experience. One way to affect a, a company's behavior or a website's behavior is by directly affecting their bottom line. That's gonna quickly yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> make change happen. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And it uses um, the easy list filter, which um, is used according to this article by just about every single ad blocker. So, and yeah, you were saying it, mentioned, it affects the AdSense and double click platforms, which is good to know. Um, so it's compliant with every known ad blocker out there so far, and it's very similar to that experience. So that's nice. I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, but um, what I'm not happy about is Google's ability to sell a phone. They, they're great at web browsers, but <laughs> They cannot sell phones to save their life. So um, I think I saw an article this, that went earlier this week saying that Google sells about as many phones in, what was it, a month or a year? No, as, that was an entire year. A year, as Apple does in a week? Yep. That's oh, correct. my God. So, <laughs> and it sucks because they're such good phones, but this has been a problem with Google since the Nexus lines. They just have not been able to iron out their manufacturing processes. And I'm, I'm hoping that with that HTC acquisition that this improves with the third generation of Pixel phones that will launch later this year. Yeah. But um, they, they seem... They, they're committed. They got to they gotta put their money where their mouth is and get their manufacturing... Uh, to back and it it's up. also that what I mentioned with the Huawei thing, in the, particular in the U.S., you have to get those contracts with the carriers. And since the Pixel phones for the original one, as well as the, the Pixel 2, they only been directly available from Verizon. And yeah. most people in the U.S. don't buy phones directly. Um, that's just the fact. Mm -hmm. And if you're just going to be only available on Verizon, that limits on who you can reach. Um Although Verizon is, I think, my, if not the biggest, one of the biggest carriers in the U.S. And, and Google, I've seen so many ads for the Pixel line on TV and online as well. Um, so they're spending ad money trying to sell these phones. But it, for some reason, it's not um, hitting with consumers. Um, yeah. Do you think they're going to roll out hardware or brick and mortar stores for Google? Do you think that we're going to see them in the next few years? Uh, I was going to ask the same question. Because with, with, yeah. with Chromebooks and the smartphones and other like Chromecast, things like that, they provide, they have enough, I would, I would think they have enough products that they could if they wanted to. Even then, they also have deals with partners too for things like um, like extra charging cables and like small little like phone cases, knickknacks, side devices, like anything that can be used with it, like Bluetooth speakers, wireless routers, you name it. Homes, um, like they have yeah. a lot of products that they could put in a store, and I think it's like one of the next logical next steps um, for Google. But yeah. I mean, and we've you've seen them in like Best Buys; they have a little pop-up kiosk thing there, mm -hmm. and they've done some pop-up stores in malls and like New York City and some of the bigger uh, cities across the country. But um, it's it's not helping. Uh, they've only sold three point nine million units in twenty seventeen. 
And it says IDC says Apple shipped total of 215 million iPhones in 2017, which works out to 4.15 million a week. Yeah, and Samsung um, has sold 317.3 million phones in 2017. Yep. I got to say, personally, I wanted to get a Pixel tool, um, but like as the case is with Google, usually there's always a cheaper Android alternative. And just mm-hmm. when they came out with that price point, it was like eight hundred to a thousand dollars. The Pixel Two was just like it was just way out of reach. Yeah, they just released a Motorola phone on their store that you can buy also, uh, one that works with their Project Fi uh, carrier, um, and that's a really solid low end phone, um, low to mid range phone, um, right. perfectly serviceable for anything people might want, but it's not enough. So I mean, uh, their pricing. Um, their pricing just isn't it's too high mm-hmm. for the first if they want to be more competitive they have to lower their prices right so. I, they were they were going after apple's kind of marketing yeah. scheme because yeah. apple can charge whatever they want because they only have a set line of phones there's no yeah. third-party interaction here whereas android there's a lot of entries to the market you know yeah. and they have yeah. to i think their apple isn't really their number one competitor samsung is because samsung yep. is in that same price range and um, if people are more and more familiar with Samsung, the brand, right? If they're already using a Samsung phone, they're going to keep sticking with Samsung because they like that experience, whatever that the uh, software experience that um, Samsung phones have. Right. I think um, that's going to stick, stick with it. If they lowered the price and it's like, hey, you can get pretty much the best camera experience because I think that's a, that's a universal uh, thing that pixel pixels have the best camera in, in the industry right now and the clean uh, user interface and it's cheaper than the samsung flagship phones then i think more people will flock uh to that and also the availability on every carrier out there particularly yeah. in the u.s that'll that that is required yeah samsung is leaps and bounds ahead of every other android manufacturer in terms of being the number one seller and maybe Apple. second only to LG and Apple in the US market. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. And Android as we solve with the numbers here, they've they they sell more phones per year than iPhone and every phone that's an Android that's sold that isn't a Pixel is a loss for Google. Mm-hmm. So, I think they're just trying to get a bigger a bigger piece of the pie. Yeah. Uh, but so. again, Pixel, I mean, Google's hardware business is fairly young. I mean, they just started manufacturing their own phones. They brought in people who worked on the original Pixel from HTC that actually brought over, I think, 2,000 people. So mm-hmm. now they have people who know how to develop hardware in-house now. So hopefully next few iterations of the phone, they'll improve those initial launch hiccups that they had with the Pixel 2 um, when it first came out and a launch, because I think that really hurt the sales. Mm-hmm. Um, because the initial reviews came out and they're like, oh, this is the, I mean, the, the, these websites just ruined like this the experience. And I felt no from you guys, like Jeff, like you didn't experience any of that and you didn't necessarily agree with things that were being said by these sites. Right. Um, initially, um, yeah, and most of it's subjective and you have that vocal minority who right. claims problems, but yeah. You're not going to get that across the board for phones, especially one coming from a first-party manufacturer like Google. So, I mean, they, they just they have to get it down, and they will. They just need yeah. to iterate. And I think I've seen rumors that um, Android P 
is going to be targeted at pulling users over from iOS and making Android a more visually attractive and smoother experience. So it's going to be the new like visual overhaul for Android. So maybe we'll see later in the year when we report on it that this is starting to change. But then again, I'm pretty sure we said the same thing before the Pixel 2 launched. I think so, that was right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be, a, it's a great niche phone. And so far, they're really only getting the eyes of people who are currently on the Nexus line of phones. But um, I think what, if given a few years of having market presence, I think we'll start to see more sales throughout the years of Google getting some better um, market penetration. So it is what it is. Um, but something else that is having trouble with its market penetration is graphics cards. Um, the crypto rush is still at full speed. People are buying up graphics cards left and right, and it's leaving a lot of people who want to build gaming computers without any kind of solid graphics hardware with which to build a, a cheap budget gaming rig and AMD is looking to solve that problem, according to this Verge article, with releasing their new Ryzen desktop processors. Um, they call them APUs, which are accelerated processing units, and they have built-in graphics running. Um, I think it's Radeon Vega graphics in it. So, I mean, not to be confused with the Vega 56 and Vega graphics cards, which are like top-of-the-market graphics and incredibly powerful and also um, behind the scenes on the iMac Pro, but um, these are definitely very serviceable graphics capabilities coming loaded onto a CPU that runs at, at most $169, so it, it's very budget-friendly. Um, I'm actually impressed with this so far for for a solid introductory market, and it's, it's something that I think was the next logical step in order to kind of take some of the attention from the low end off of waiting for a hundred plus dollar graphics card that's been inflated by the mining rush. Mm -hmm. um, and it's and, better than any integrated graphics that might come with an yeah. Intel CPU. Um, they say it's power. It's uh, the power equivalent is as powerful as an Intel i5-8400 processor paired with an NVIDIA GT1030 GPU. So that's a solid bit of processing power it's not like state-of-the-art what you're what you can get right. if you go for your best cpu best graphics card kind of mix but that's not what yeah. you expect with something like this yeah you're saving a hundred dollars for the same amount of power and you don't have to worry about a graphics card right so it's one less component to put into the computer and it's one less thing to maintain and also it leaves it open so that way you can get a graphics card and once the prices drop so people anyone looking to build i would almost and you're looking to go Ryzen instead of Intel and you don't feel like waiting for a graphics card and you don't want to do anything besides say like PUBG or Fortnite or like Counter Strike or Rocket League or something like that. Absolutely this is an option. This is one hundred percent a great option to wait to to get hold and wait for the the inevitable drop in price for graphics cards. I'm curious if uh what we were talking about I I forget if it was last week or the week before, but that with the ASIC uh, regs that are starting to be, come out if graphics cards are going to be dropping in price as a result of that too or maybe uh, if if that, both those and the graphics cards that have high prices right now are going to stay where they are if this is going to be the most viable option is to have this 
solution at Ryzen's uh, yeah. housing. I don't yeah. know if ASIC mining is going to drive down graphics cards, mostly if not purely for the reason that most of the new coin that is coming out is ASIC resistant. Yep. Yeah, I remember we touched on that a little bit too. But yeah. yeah, so I don't know how much that would have in. I don't know how much I would impact it, but I would think that that would at least help because with every and, and ASIC miners, they lose value so fast. You yep. basically have to buy it brand new at MSRP if you're going to make any kind of money off of it. Hmm. So, but um, yeah. So in other words. A little PSA: If you're looking to get into mining, do not buy a recycled ASIC miner because it won't be <laughs> worth it. You're going to overpay for it. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. An- another PSA: If you want to pick up one of these new uh, Ryzen um, processors with ing- integrated graphics, and you just uh, buy a compatible um, motherboard on, if you go to uh, a store um, or online, uh, you potentially uh, it could potentially be incompatible with that motherboard uh, because it requires a CPU update, but there's a catch 22 because if you want to upgrade that um, the BIOS to make it compatible with these new processors, you need a CPU, but the CPU you have is not compatible. So uh, what AMD has is doing is um, sending out free processors for you to be able to do the upgrade uh, for uh, the motherboard, so you can, it can be compatible with these new CPUs. So if you have a, a if you purchase a motherboard that's been sitting on a shelf from uh, a couple of months before these uh, CPUs were announced, it is uh, currently not compatible with these CPUs. So it needs that firmware update. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with your CPU. It's something wrong with the BIOS. Mm-hmm. So. But that's and that CPU isn't like any kind of high end one. It's like a sixty dollars CPU, right? Yeah, and yeah. and the intent is for you to send it back to AMD when you're done with it. Yeah. Yep. So that's probably a... why they send you a sixty dollars CPU and not yeah. like a Ryzen sixteen hundred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, which is nice in them. I mean, yeah, it it kind of sucks. Um, I know that uh, certain um, motherboard manufacturers have uh, figured out a way to do BIOS updates without a CPU. I know Asus is one of them, but uh, if you're not using, if you haven't picked up an Asus motherboard uh, for um, this purpose, then you might run into this issue. And the AMD has provided a support page where you can uh, get in uh, contact with them and receive a boot kit to flash your firmware. Very nice. Um, cool but okay so we should i want to talk about this the drone the uh (laughs) (laughs) this skydio $2,500 self-flying drone this thing's terrifying (laughs) this thing it's a so it's a drone um that was just showcased uh the other day from the company skydio and it's basically they i think they market it as a selfie drone right so it's one that can follow you while you're snowboarding or running or doing something and avoid obstacles around it. Um, the concept of that is kind of terrifying, and I get a very Black Mirror kind of feel from I was, it. I was just going to mention, I feel like I've seen something like this in either Black Mirror or like a recent sci-fi movie or something like that. Yeah, there was a recent Black Mirror in the new season where there was some like hunter robots in a way that were taking out people they were they were dogs they weren't drones that flew but there's something kind of unnerving about a drone that's capable of following a human target with 4k footage yeah 
that can avoid obstacles. Um, right. And the, they have a gif of a person running around with the drone chasing after them on the article. It's kind of <laughs> creepy. Yeah, and it says while navigating itself through a dense forest or urban environments like a warehouse, so it can keep away from branches and dense forests, which is fairly impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Thompson, you have experience with like the obstacle avoidance on DJI drones. Yeah. Um, this is looks like a step above that. I don't. I don't know. I'm just being full 360 coverage is a step above. <laughs> yeah. Because you can back those drones into buildings by accident. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, uh, the uh, yeah. processor in this is a 256 core NVIDIA TX1 processor. Jeez. Yeah. It, that's, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's used in self driving vehicles. Exactly. So oh, man. the object avoidance and autopilot, so to speak, makes a lot of sense with this. Yeah. This is by yeah. no means a mainstream drone. No. Coming in at twenty six hundred dollars, two thousand five hundred dollars. So this is more for like professional audience or like professional cinematographers who need a powerful hands off camera to get aerial shots. Maybe like yeah. snowboarders, I could see using this. It only has a sixteen minute flight time. Really? Wow. <laughs> what? For twenty five? Uh, yeah, that's. I think the, oh. these selfie drones, I think there's going to be a rise in seeing more of these selfie drones. Yeah, yeah me too. Get smaller and have longer battery life, but that's the market trend. It's the new I selfie also... stick. Yeah. You said the Olympics? Is that what you said? Me? Yeah. I said, no, it's the new selfie stick. Oh, yeah. I thought you said exactly. that. I thought you went in, I guess it must have distorted it. Because I was thinking, I was just thinking that these could actually be used for like, um, runs during the Olympics, like for the men's half pipe or for something like that, for getting like really cool up close shots of the people. And I think they were using drones in the Olympics. I think we talked about that in one of the more recent episodes that they're using drones to get some footage and to do some cool visual stuff in the air. Um, yeah. I w- this that could be a use for this. I could see that. Um, I would but, trust uh, a professional drone pilot to do that stuff. I wouldn't trust an AI to do autonomous tracking because. Yeah. I don't know. You, I well, feel like it would. They would have better control, and they would know what shots to get. Yeah, but Irvin, you you trust your car. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Well, in certain situations, <laughs> you may not trust yeah. this, but um, they had just recently closed a forty-two million dollars Series B mm-hmm. round of funding. So people trust this company. Yeah. Um, uh, notable inv- investors. 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 Investors aren't people. Well, the investor, well, one of the investors in this case is a what? <laughs> one of the investors is a person. You have um, the article mentions NVIDIA, Excel, Andres Horowitz, and Kevin Durant. Two of those yeah. are people, <laughs> to be yeah, clear. Two of people, yeah. I, I, I still don't believe they're real people. Kevin Durant's not. That's, or, or that's me. Other investors include Coachella attendees. <laughs> yes well, i mean it, i guess the kind of after seeing all of the digital early new robotic assistants that were being released at ces don't you think this would be the logical step to yep. having an, an assistant that follows you around all day and just kind of floats around like a like a halo oracle or something well, not, not yeah. all day just 60 minutes at a time yeah, yeah just 60 minutes at a time that's the, that's the part that doesn't make any sense to me i feel like this would have a way longer battery life between charge but I guess not. Yeah, that speaks more to the limitations of batteries than it does the limitations of drone technology. I well, think it really limits what you can do with it. Like you can't yeah. go out on these long hikes with one of these things, or maybe if it were to be used somewhere like in a, I don't know, like a, a sport environment, or maybe even like 
a war environment or something like that, like this kind of technology. Like I can you, see that 16 minutes is a long time in a firefight. So I could see that being like like used if in this a, was used at, if this was used in like police conflicts or something like that to like get the actual footage or something. I don't know. I'm just yeah. trying to think of where this could go and you need more than 16 minutes of a charge to do that. <laughs> well, we definitely know it's going to Kevin Durant because he's going to use it for his, his sick total, slam dunks. Yeah. Total investment to date equals $70 million. Wow. People wow. believe in it. This tech Skydio is not far off from Skynet guys. Just saying it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Or, you know, actually I did think of a use for this drone um, you might be able to use it to scout out your next bitcoin farm location in iceland um, <laughs> you can um that kind of segues us into the next article um where iceland is becoming a bit of a of a boom region for it's it's almost like the 49ers and the gold rush it's uh, not the football team. It's a big, um, <laughs> it's a big location for bitcoin miners due to its low energy costs. Because um, Iceland, I think its primary source of power is geothermal, yeah. um, and it's expected to use more energy. This is the, the the fun thing, the opening line to this article. It's expected to use more energy mining bitcoins and other virtual currencies than it uses to power its homes. <laughs> so, like, more power is going to cryptocurrency mining than the entire country's infrastructure of homes. Oh, it's such a weird concept. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just like... that is strange. And I think, um, and I don't know if anybody knows more about this than I do, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they are attempting to do this in some parts of the U.S. Like, uh, I think, is it Oregon has a super, super low um, kilowatt hour? It's like three cents per kilowatt hour. And there's all these big crypto industries who are trying to have the townships that are running this cheap infrastructure to build up their capabilities to support higher lines but they're refusing to do it because what happens when the crypto market fails you have all this infrastructure that is now no longer needed because these companies don't need that much power anymore but um but if you're in the u.s this might be a good time to invest in general electric <laughs> because of the, <laughs> the power um that people need but um but yeah it's it looks like it's the article does mention that it looks like it's well it's likely to be well received by Icelanders who are skeptical of financial ventures after the banking crash. Um, I don't know if moving to cryptocurrency is good if you want to avoid a crash because cryptocurrency seems to be on a wild ride as of late up and down and up and down. Bitcoin now just only recently getting back to around 11,000. And as you can buy this crazy whatever crazy ride that you're talking about in this article it mentions as of today the bitcoin is valued as eight thousand so this article was written on february 12th as an as of today it crossed eleven thousand so one week uh, on the 12th it was eight thousand <laughs> and today is just crossed eleven thousand so that's the crazy ride that matt was talking about yeah. it just fluctuates that much yeah. It's even crazier um, if you go back three months. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or a year. Yeah, or, or a year. Or a year, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, they compare this to gold mining. Um, yeah. So I don't know how effective that will be um, when your gold is fluctuating at values of as much as $1,000 within a month. 
or within several days in some cases. Um, I guess if you're but, your energy cost is low enough to accumulate the stuff, then maybe it's a profit either way, unless it yeah. really, really drops in value. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so I'm mean, people are skeptical about it in Reykjavik, which is the capital of Iceland. Um, but I honestly think that this is going to have something. And, and I, I, I do encourage anybody who is an Icelandic legislature or party member who may be listening to this show that... <laughs> Um, maybe consider the crashes before you consider the, the the free money aspect of cryptocurrency, just because it is something that you should take into consideration. Well, apparently, uh, a legislator in the pirate party has already done so, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Pirate party That's... legislator McCarthy has questioned the value of Bitcoin mining for Icelandic society. <laughs> it holds 10% of the seats, too. So, yeah. So... I mean, maybe they are listening. Who knows? And if they are, hello, welcome. And, welcome to the show. And our uh, matey. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fantastic joke. Thanks. I like that. Yeah. But um, something else that has been a fantastic joke lately is, oh. <laughs> is the HomePod. <laughs> oh, no, he didn't. Um, shot, shots fired. Shots fired. Yeah. No, well, I mean... It's not a joke if you <laughs> own an iPhone, only listen to Apple Music, mm-hmm. and really like Siri. Yeah. And are an audiophile. And don't mind not cooking because it can't handle recipes. So what people are quickly finding out the HomePod is, is a very limited smart speaker with a very fantastic sound quality. It's one of the, the best speakers you can get if you're an audiophile, but we're going to further restrict that demographic into audiophiles who exclusively use Apple Music who only have an iOS device because you need all three of those in order to do this. Rumor has so. it that only free music by U2 will be streamable on these devices. <laughs> each, one, each one comes with a U2 album. <laughs> oh, That's a throwback. That was a throwback. Oh, man. But yeah, they... It, I like I, I wanted to say that this would like come in and it, it is a sign of Apple waiting and releasing a really well designed final product that fits very well into their ecosystem that sounds great but its biggest holdback is that it still has Siri yeah like they should have just and it should, should doesn't live it. up to I know I so I've been following, um, I don't know if Matt, you know, Rene Ritchie from MacBreak mm-hmm. uh, Weekly, and he runs the site iMore, and I follow him on Twitter, and he has been defending Apple wholeheartedly that saying that the Apple HomePod was never meant to be a competitor with Google Home and, and Amazon's Echo um, from the beginning. Like Apple never, I, I get that's the messaging that Apple is sending, but ev- literally everyone is going to compare it directly to those home products. And it's not currently doesn't match the functionality. Yes, it sounds great, but it, if you want to do anything else other than listen to Apple music with it, it's really not that useful. Well, okay. Uh, so 
this, oh, go ahead. Well, I'm reading here in a note in something I didn't realize until I just read it, but it says that if you want to listen to music from a source besides Apple Music, so like Spotify, yeah. Audible, Pandora, you can stream you can. it. Yeah, you can do it. You just can't voice yeah. request it. Exactly. So yeah. you can AirPlay. So it's just an irregular AirPlay speaker. So if you go to any app that plays sound, uh, you can just AirPlay that music. The only, yeah, you can't control it by voice, so which every other right. speaker can. Right. If so you're used technically, to your... yes, it can play music, but you can't say to the HomePod, hey, uh, slow, whatever. I, I don't want to say the, the S word, but um, <laughs> play play a song on Spotify. It can't do that. It'll just come back. Sorry, I can't do that. Yeah, it, right. That seems like a major marketing failure, though, the, the, the ability for it to still you know be able to airplay that stuff at least because i thought it was simply it was just proprietary for you know apple music yeah the headlines make it sound like yeah you right. can't literally you can't play anything else you technically can but you just can't control it um by voice you can say if you airplay something i i think you can the only thing you can control by voice uh is play and pause and next song and previous song that's pretty much it you can't get any more information or call a particular playlist on anything other than apple music that's the limitation and um, can i go on a bit of a rant about that renee richie comment please because (laughs) like cool i totally understand yes that this is an audio files product for anyone who's fully engrossed in apple's ecosystem but the second you connect siri to it and enable it to play with HomeKit, it now competes Yes, the Google Assistant and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Apple is whatever position that they're think. Oh, we never wanted to be competing with those products. It doesn't matter. As soon as you put Siri on it, people are going to compare it. And And when when, you do that, it doesn't compare. When you do that, then I start to compare what it can, can't, and fails at doing. What it can do is it is it connects to a horribly incomplete HomeKit like stuff like it it yeah. people who use HomeKit report that it's a pair like pile of hot garbage it doesn't work um and when it does work it's like magic but it fails a lot and there's a lot of overhead to get it running what it can also do is it's really good at playing music and i fully concede that it is probably the best sounding smart speaker out there sounding better than the home max than sonos one than all of that stuff um but siri oh. No. Siri is a huge, huge failure in this, in that you can't look up recipes because people are going to see this, go and be like, oh, I don't need the Echo. I've got the HomePod that can do everything that can do and then some. And then the second they try to look up a recipe, it's like, I found some results on the web for you, or I can't do that right now, or I'm sorry, or no. And it flat <laughs> out refuses. And also on top of that, um, the HomePod is something that just doesn't like there's no security around it which is ironic because that's something that apple touts is something that they have held as a number one priority there is a setting yeah yeah. there's a setting in your iphone that is on by default or you can configure it during the initial setup of the home pod that lets this read off your calendar your text messages it connects the full power of siri to between your smartphone and the home pod and there's no voice recognition right so like any guy in your house can walk up and send receive check messages check your calendar read emails off like they can do anything that siri can do and that is why that fails yeah because it's not secure 
And it's something that most people during the setup process are just going to accept anyway. And then if you go over to their house, you can just say like, oh, what's, what was the last text message I received? <laughs> and just have it read off. The, and like you can respond. And that person won't know if they're not in the same room until they check their phone. Yep. And it's all that you were sending people text messages as them. So you know what the HomePod is good at? Music? Leave, leaving rings on your wooden table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> leaving white rings. I love how they and Apple acknowledged that too. And I love how that um, their suggested thing is, um, oh, they wipe away most times pretty easily. Or they even suggested refinishing your wooden surface. Like, oh, yeah, let me just go buff out the old, <laughs> bust out the old buffer and sand out that, that buff mark that the HomePod left on my wood table. And also, this isn't really something you can fix with like a cloth under it because that messes with the acoustic quality of the speaker because it uses that seven tweeter microphone array to judge how far away it is from walls. And if it's hitting cloth, it can't accurately do that. So I, it's, it's a, that, that's an interesting issue in itself, completely disconnected from whether the HomePod is a good thing or a bad thing. But if you ask me, um, it's going to, will be, and I will always compare it to the Google Assistant and the Amazon Echo because the second they integrated HomeKit and uh, the ability to interface with your phone's text messages and calendar, it immediately begins to enter that market. And the music becomes a side feature that it can do. Apple may want it to be the main stage, but it's as much it's as much a smart speaker as an iPhone 10 is an iPhone X. So <laughs> and that's the end of my rant. <laughs> <laughs> and I like I Renee Ritchie, I hear you, but I disagree yeah. with you completely. It's, he's been defending everyone who's been tweeting at him is like nope it was never the intention it was it. like I, I get it you're you're a huge apple fanboy, but at some point you just have to realize that yeah apple's products aren't the best they botox they wasn't intended to fix migraines <laughs> right <laughs> right there you go <laughs> <laughs> wow so there okay mike dropped it's oh. over. Next topic. Let's. let's <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But the white rings, that's a, that's a bad feat. That's not a good look for Apple. Nope. It's not. Yeah. Or your wooden um, furniture. Yeah. Or the wooden furniture. Yeah. Yeah. But um, Apple is going to be revamping the iPhone software. Um, I'm still heated from the, the HomePod topic, <laughs> <laughs> if you couldn't tell. Uh, so it's shaking up its development program to focus more on its key features. So it looks like they're going to be doing a major design overhaul of iOS, hinting at um, improvements on Animojis, uh, the digital. Oh, very home. important. Very yeah, important. That, yeah, that is the number one feature on iPhone. And any anybody who agrees with me, I will defend it on Twitter wholeheartedly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're, apparently that they're going to be not introducing um, the uh, redesigned home screen for iPhone, iPad, and CarPlay and a revamped Photos app that can suggest what images you're going to be viewing. Um, so it needs to focus more on these major internal upgrades uh, before it can push that off. But um, it looks like it's going to be spending the next couple of years on really hammering out iOS, which is something that I think they should have done last year. <laughs> considering all the episodes we've spent reporting on problems that they've had. <laughs> yeah. And Irvin, I think you can speak to this a little bit more intimately than me or Jeff or Ryan can because uh, of your recent 
um, misguided phone choice. Wow. <laughs> that was very well said, Matt. Yeah. Uh, so I've recently, just to test out the waters, have, have uh, acquired an iPhone 7 uh, Plus. Um, Don't ask how. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm currently running the beta version of, of 11.3, I think. Uh, I have no issues so far. But the thing about that, I've seen several reports about it is as more and more people, I mean, they're nearing almost a billion iOS users in the world. And like, if you look back at the history of issues that iOS has had, as well as Mac OS, um, it's been sort of similar in terms of this type of issues that are coming up, but as more and more, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but as more and more people using, using this platform close to a billion, let's say if only a, a percent of those users are affected by a particular bug. That's still a huge subset. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's why all these issues are, are giving uh, like a huge outcry of like, oh, something like a bug comes out. Like the bug that re was recently um, with this new character that if you send this character through a text message or an iMessage, it crashes the uh, messages app on the phone and makes it unusable until you send like a rescue text. Those type of issues, which you would think that uh, they would find, but it was like this obscure character used in uh, the Indian language of, um, I don't want to mispronounce it, Tamali, or yeah, I'm not going to even try. Um, <laughs> hey, um, yeah, um, that, that crashes the phone, which has previously happened on other releases. I mean... Yeah, they should really focus on, and it's great to hear that they're focusing on um, improving the software, not focusing on huge new uh, uh, releases and only launching new features when they're, they think it's ready for prime time, not just when they're like, oh, they're, it's okay, we still have a couple of things here and there, we're just going to launch it. Because they've gotten down to that yearly update cycle where they release a brand new version of iOS um, and that's been kind of impressive that they've done that for such a long time, but it's starting to bite them in the butt, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and they need to slow down, which is good to hear that they're doing. And they're doing the same thing with Mac OS as well. Um, yeah. And I, while I think that that's true, um, in terms of scale, not only are they one of the larger smartphone companies, but now they are the most valuable smartphone company with the most, um, by far, the most income of any tech yeah. company in the world. Yeah. Any company. This beats out Microsoft, Amazon, uh, all of Alphabet. They are by far the highest valued company in the world. And I think with that, not to be... Uh, lame spider-man quote but it's almost like a great power comes great responsibility type deal where the more they penetrate into being the first company to potentially cross a trillion dollars if anybody can afford to get these problems hammered out in a timely manner it's apple so i that's kind of my pass at it um to play devil's advocate to what you said um they are held to a higher expectation i think than other phone companies to have this process done right and it almost besmirches their reputation when they can't deliver quality products on time or they deliver bug-filled products. Because, and even to go back, you were, you've ranted 
for an hour on Apple on the air. We had had a specific section of an episode dedicated to just me ranting about Apple's software quality issues. Yeah. (laughs) And like, that's the thing. Like people hold them to a much higher standard, which is why um, these like the white rings on wood tables and like weird software glitches and security faults and uh, this odd focus on animojis. Like it's, it's a weird, weird direction that they're going in and uh, they do need to hold off these fun, fancy new features and take a step back and actually build out a good product. But I also find it hilarious that they are focusing on emojis as well during this. <laughs> it's very important, man. It right. is. It's well, a critical feature, man. I tried that in an Apple store and it was it was interesting. I didn't know how to feel about myself afterwards. I don't know how to feel about you now if you told me that. Yeah. I immediately deleted it from my brain and from the phone. Well, but. if I can add my two cents, uh, you know, you have more users on Apple, so you have a lot more eyes on what you're doing and what you're putting out there. It's, it's basically what you guys have been saying, but you got to make sure that your foundation is really solid um, because if there start to be major cracks in there, they're going to cause people to not be able to use your devices or get really frustrated, uh, give your company a bad name with a lot of consumers, then you're going to lose a lot of those consumers. So yeah. instead of focusing on all the bells and whistles that are nice to have and fun and kind of jabs at other companies that are coming out with similar technologies, if you can make sure that this uh, new iOS release is really polished, uh, mm-hmm. you're going to avoid a lot of that potential yeah. catastrophe. Ryan, what are your thoughts on this? I'm, I'm curious to hear how your thoughts are because you've avoided iOS for a, a good <laughs> while as well. I'm just curious to see what it would take to potentially bring you over into iOS. Oh, um, uh, to potentially bring me over? I don't know if that could ever happen. Whether it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like whether it's like cleaning up or like what, what's what's your opinion on this whole? Uh, this My whole... opinion on this is, I mean, what would put them in the forefront? I mean, was that they their attention to detail? They made sure everything was so streamlined in the past. Like they they take their time. You know, Android and, and other companies would beat them to market in certain aspects, but they had mm-hmm. a lot more bugs. And now they're trying to just kind of compete speed wise. And it's just like, well, now you're just like everybody else. You have yeah. a larger market, but you're just you're doing the same thing everybody else is doing. You're trying to get there first instead of focusing on quality. So they got to take a step back and go, well, this is what got us here in the first place. You know, by taking our time and building the polished, you know. Uh, tools here that they had in the past they should just step back and go back to what they what they know that was actually a big defense topic when i would ask people about um why ios took so long to get into some of the markets that android has beaten it into in some cases for several years Mm -hmm. and the best analogy that i've heard of ios over the last maybe four or five years was that um, ios always shows up late to the party but when they show up, they're the best dressed and they're the most popular people there. Yeah. So like they're late all the time, but when they show up, it works. It's mm-hmm. a good product. It's a solid product. And for the first time, the past couple of years in their history as a smartphone company, they're starting to slip that reputation and it's showing in all these articles that we're seeing across the internet. Yeah. And okay. I mean, it's, it's probably something we could talk about all day. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a good metaphor. Um, the thing I'm wondering is, it are they abusing the consumer base that they've developed? Because it's easy to rush things to market and make them look good, like because they're exciting. 
new forms of technology if they're not polished, if they have that giant foothold that other companies don't? Are they just abusing it now because they have such loyal consumers that now they can just do that? Right. I feel like they're in this weird limbo between the era of Steve Jobs and becoming a trillion dollar company where they're trying to both innovate for the sake of their stock and their shareholders to show that they're still a company that can compete with these newer companies that are coming out. And I think this is primarily driven by competition from China. Um, but at the same time, um, they're kind of losing sight of their roots, like you were saying, and um, they're falling in their QC processes and getting quality software out. So I think it's a trade-off. The more money you spend on innovating, the less money you can spend on delivering a, a complete product to market that yeah, is going like, to blow people's minds. What kind of innovating are you talking about here? Because like an emoji is not the same thing as coming out with the graphic <laughs> right. user interface. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, yeah. I think like, well, things like the W1 chip, um, I think that was one of the better innovations that they've had. And yeah. all the effort put into the Apple Watch were um ios is or apple is still one of the is the top seller of a smartwatch now globally sure, sure. Uh, not um, just wa smartwatch watches in general. yeah <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah they yeah. beat out every single watchmaker yeah not just smart watchmaker i mean i don't know how i don't know how many watches rolex expects to sell in a year whether right. it's five or fifteen hundred or a thousand or million or whatever but um but th that's that's like the thing that I, i'm getting around to is that like um they're innovating by taking existing products and making it work in an all-inclusive ecosystem where everything is like it almost beautifully comes together through um through software uh where it connects like the, the w1 chip you literally open up your airpod container yeah. and a pop-up shows up on your phone saying like oh hey do you want to connect to this and like android's trying to mimic that all over the place um, and the HomePod has the same chip in it, and that's all you do. You just bring the phone close to the HomePod, and the thing pops up, and you just press one button, and you're connected. That's yeah. The setup, if you're already an iPhone user for all these devices, is super simple. And yeah, even cool. in terms of, like, MacBooks and stuff, the logic board on a MacBook Pro is the smallest logic board mm -hmm. I've ever seen in a laptop. Yep. Yeah. And it's mm -hmm. one of the most power-efficient. So, I mean, they're innovating, but they're not innovating in the right places. Right. I think I think Matt, when you when you touched on they're going to be the first trillion dollar company, I think that's a lot of that is side effects of this. They see that that major landmark and they're so close mm -hmm. to it now that they're just kind of dropping anything and they're sprinting to the finish. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think someone it's almost said like, like our, our quality starting to fall just to get to that trillion dollar landmark because they're you know the stockholders want that so bad. Yeah, I think that they're seeing that. They're, I think they said that they're at one point they were like two dollars a share away from being a trillion dollar company at one point. Yeah. Their current market cap is eight hundred seventy four billion dollars. So, yeah. yeah, it's nuts. And uh, what's Amazon at? Because Amazon, I think it's. Close. I was just. I was just Amazon is at seven hundred and one. Yeah, yeah, they're getting there. Wow. So it's they they Amazon just recently passed Microsoft, I think. So Microsoft should be around that same place, but I mean, yeah, it's it's something that we're seeing, and we have a couple more articles that we're going to touch on over the next few minutes that talk about some other um, iOS issues. But I think it's important to talk about this because it's something that impacts every user who uses an iPhone, and that's a global market now. Because as we have mentioned, they are close to trillion dollars. It's something they need to get down. Um, but uh, to move on into um, Another flaw um, that they need to get sorted out 
is um it's a pretty big one too in mac os that can lead to data loss when you use an apfs formatted disk image so um that i'm not familiar with off the top of my head so yeah. what that is so apple launched a brand new uh file system um when they released their newest mac os which was high sierra and uh there's been a couple issues here and there. I mean, it's a brand new file system, so you expect a couple of issues. But when um, you lose, start losing data, that's fairly um, major issue. Mm-hmm. Just a um, little bit. But yeah, it has to. Um, you have to use um, a disk image, which I think a sparse disk image. Which I don't know. Most people even know what that means. Even if even if you're a macOS user, most people don't use disk images on a regular basis. But if you do, and you format it into the APFS file system, you could uh, potentially um, lose uh, data that is stored within that disk image. Um, uh, yeah. So the one. So the uh, the AP, APFS volumes free space doesn't. This is to quote the article directly yeah. for like the real getting into the weeds of it. Doesn't reflect a smaller amount of free space on its underlying disk. So the free space isn't necessarily the free space that you're working with. So in the past, there they used HFS plus, like you mentioned. Um, the image volume would automatically adjust its free space. And I'm reading directly from the article because they describe it pretty well. Um, to accommodate any differences between disk image volume capacity and the actual amount of free space in the disk. So if you created a disk image with 500 gigs on a 500 gig network volume, but then you add 400 gigabytes of things to the network volume outside of the disk image, now there's only 100 gigs of space for stuff on the disk image. And accordingly, when you mount that image, it would report its own disk usage as 400 gigabytes and its free space as 100 even if there's actually nothing on the image volume. So it can't practically accommodate more than 100 gigabytes, so the free space should reflect that. Um, but the um, the adjustment is done in HFS+, plus, but it does not happen in APFS. Mm-hmm. So it's restricted only to that, and they said it appears to be more of a regression rather than an oversight specific to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it were the only, if this was the only issue... Um, then they said this would just be a minor annoyance. But the larger issue is when any application tries to write more data to the disk image than the underlying disk can accommodate. And this so. only pretty much affects you if you make backups to network volumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this article was actually published by someone who works at uh, um, the maker of Carbon Copy Cloner, which is a huge program for uh, doing these t- type of backups on macOS machines, doing network uh, backups. I actually use this program <laughs> to do <laughs> network backups. So, uh, but I used to, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I should look into this closer because I just realized <laughs> that completely. This is going to impact you. It might. It might. Um, yeah. So I'll be taking a look at this after the show. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when you initially create a disk image file, it's very small. Uh, it's just large enough to hold that pre-allocated space for the file. And as you copy it to the disk image, the file will grow, which is where the bug is. So suppose you attempt to copy 200 gigabytes of data to that 500 gigabyte disk image file, which shouldn't be possible because there was only 100 gigs, going back to the earlier example, 100 gigs of free space left on that disk. And the APFS disk reports that there's 500 gigabytes of free space available. 
because it doesn't see that underlying disk. So what happens is it's like, oh, sure, go ahead. And then it writes the first 100 gigabytes successfully, mm-hmm. and then it corrupts and stops the transfer because it says there's no space left on the device, even though it's reporting that there is plenty of space left in APFS. So um, this is a really good way to corrupt your files very quickly yeah. <laughs> if you're not careful with your limits here. Yeah. So um, I basically... think my images that I use is HFS+. plus. Uh, that's why I haven't seen this issue. Um, I yeah. specifically, because I don't trust APFS yet that much, because um, it is a brand new file system. So I picked the HFS plus when I initially set this up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So basically, just be careful. Um, yeah. And it's using um, CCC is the program. Um, yep. Carbon copy cloner. Yep. So they were saying that uh, they're posting an update to CCC 5.0.9 that will revoke support for creating APFS formatted disk images. So it looks like updating might help you, Irvin. Mm-hmm. They just won't be able to do it because they can't trust the storage anymore. No. Um, so you should, they said the average user should be um, unaffected, but they recommend that the users update to 5.0.9. Um, and then they say make a brief review of your backup tasks. Um, just read the task plan, and if it's configured to back it up, then um, hold your mouse over it, and it, it, it's all here. So <laughs> you yeah, can just cool. read into that and take care cool. of that yourself. Yep. And so. we'll have this article in the show notes. If anyone else is using this piece of software or you think that you might be affected, you can read up on it. So what, just for the listeners, what is that program again? Carbon Copy Cloner. Yes. CC is yeah, mostly okay. So if you're using that and you're on High Sierra, um, check out the link that we have in the show notes to to get this mitigated for yourself. Um, but we're going back to the iPhone 10. Um, it looks like this is going to be their design going forward per this um, Ars Technica article. Yep. Um, Apple is saying that all of their iPhone apps on the store must follow this new format. So... Um, Looks like uh, iOS developers have some work ahead of them in order to make their apps compliant with the App Store. And I'm wondering if we're going to see any bigger apps drop off because they don't have time to work on this. Or, um, I mean, it's in their best interest. But yeah. Apple has released a message to the developers that as from April 2018 onward, all apps must be built with the latest um, iOS 11 uh, SDK and must support the new iPhone, the iPhone 10's uh, display format with the notch. Uh, so that seems to indicate that um, um, Apple's going to stick uh, with that format going uh, in the future. So uh, it, the Apple might get rid of the square type of look in the future completely uh, mm-hmm. once these phones sort of phase out. And Apple stops either selling them or, or supporting them. Um, and going forward, it's going to be that sort of notch. I hope they reduce the notch size. Um, but um, I think this form factor is here to stay. It makes sense to do this. I, you right. know, because it, it makes it makes all the apps like people keep upgrading to the new iPhone. So right. if an app doesn't support this, it's just going to look janky on right iPhone. So it makes sense to for Apple's to force um, the, their developers to do this. But yeah, if, if uh, there's an app out there that you use that the developer uh, doesn't keep up to date anymore, but it's still sort of compatible with the and I iOS think this, version. 
I think this also kind of inadvertently confirms some of the rumors that we've been seeing earlier in the year about what the next generation of iPhones is going to look like. No. Um, the rumors, I think, that were standing was that you would have a smaller and a larger phone that resembles the iPhone X mm-hmm. with a smaller budget option that more closely resembles the um, familiar iPhone form factor that everyone's used to currently. Um, like almost in the same essence as like the 5C, but instead of a 5C, basically it would be what the iPhone 8 is. So it looks like that's the direction that they're headed in. They're going to push this bezel-less future onto people. And with that, it looks like Touch ID is on its way out the door, unless they put it on the back of the phone, but I don't think they'd ever yeah, do that. Not, never, I don't think It'd that. be cool if they turned the Apple logo into a Touch ID yeah. sensor. That would be a, kind of a cool thing that they well, could do. They've also, I mean, you've seen in other news, other phones that have the actual fingerprint sensor as part of the actual screen too. Yeah, so you don't actually have true. to include a sensor if for that, it. If that technology actually becomes, I'll live up to Apple standards. Yeah. Right. We'll see that probably in a few years. Yep. Yeah. When, uh, in terms of this, the modification of these apps that developers are going to have to do uh, following April 2018, wouldn't just a simple fix of this to be like kind of change this resolution of the app itself and just kind of have some vertical borders on the side to take care of that bezel if you're really lazy? It could if you're lazy, but I think you need to consider UI elements getting cut off by that notch at the top. Well, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like if you scale the entire app down, you you keep everything and then just put borders on it. That's an easy fix. Yeah. Well, that's what it does now. If you don't, if your app is not built to be compatible, mm-hmm. I think it just does those black bars up at the top and the bottom. Interesting. To make it. Because it's an OLED screen, so if you just make black bars, it looks like the screen is off because that's the nice thing about OLED screens is when the pixels are off, it's just pure black, so um, you won't really notice. Um, But um, I wonder if they're doing that to minimize burn-in also because that could potentially happen with um, two thick black bars on either side of your phone. Yeah. Just two brighter sides of the screen, which would be awful. (laughs) But yeah, because like it makes to, sense. to expect a developer to like actually use that bezel space for something that's actually catered to in the app for every app doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but if it's where the platform is going as a whole, then maybe it's definitely in Apple's best interest to get everybody under the same design pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at once. It's just, so I mean, it's, it's, there's two sides to it. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna I think change the graphic design. Uh, that goes in and making an app, especially if you're trying to have it on both like Android and iOS. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but anyway. I mean, it is what it is, and I think that um, like I said, I think you may see some apps uh, start to get into trouble as they are late to deliver this. But it is in their best interest, and I want to see. I think we'll definitely be reporting on the metrics of this as they begin to roll this enforcement out. Um, much in the same way that we're seeing the adoption rate for Chrome uh, websites tailoring their ad platform to be more compliant with the better ad, a better coalition for ads, right. coalition for better ads. So, and I think the biggest place that you're going to see problems with this is games, not necessarily just standard apps, because mm. it's going to be tough for games to render at an unusual resolution like that especially with rounded corners and having to deal with a bezel that's missing and i wonder if maybe some of them will, like you said just put a a border there or something yeah 
because ga- gaming on a phone that has no bezels is kind of hard anyway. So, plus I'm not sure what the budgetary constraints of smartphone game developers are in the first place. So, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think that's everything. Also, that's and, almost everything. There's uh, something on in Irvin's background that's reminding me. I think we have one more article to touch on. Oh right. There's um, a there's I can't help but notice a, a spaceship in your background, Irvin. I don't know what you're you're stop looking at my rocket. <laughs> Matt. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, if, go ahead. All you. Uh, all who? Uh, Matt or uh, <laughs> you, Irvin? <laughs> Oh, me? Yeah, so the uh, reason that I think Jeff is uh, bringing this um, up, the rocket in the background, is uh, SpaceX is planning to, or originally planned to launch a rocket uh, yesterday, this past Sunday, February 18th, but they had to postpone it till, I think, the 21st. It is now, yeah, Wednesday, February 21st. They're planning to do a mission, um, and there's a sort of a, not a secret, but a, like a submission uh, attached to it. So they have a, a of course, a, a customer, the satellite that they're launching. But additional, addition to that, um, we've heard that Tesla has been, or Elon has been planning to launch, or, or sort of play with launching a internet service uh, that'll be um, uh, from micro satellites in space that'll provide internet coverage uh, fairly high speed typically better than what is now provided by satellites because they're closer to earth um so they're going to launch a couple of test uh, satellites uh with um this launch on february 11th or 21st 21st um, yeah yeah 21st uh so they're gonna see how so they're gonna test i think two i'm trying to find the article they're called starlink satellites right yeah Mm. yeah starlink satellites um to help yeah so they're going to test it they're going to have base stations at um the locations the spacex headquarters i think there's a couple in the in california um and uh one floor uh, yeah in california and they're going to use those as a testing ground uh, so they're they're going to use those base base stations to send the uh, signal up to those satellites, and I'll beam it back down on on um, back to the Earth where they can uh, capture it. So they plan to uh, launch thousands of these if these initial tests uh, work out. Thousands of these micro satellites up in the air, and they'll create this sort of mesh network around the world that allow. Uh, people, uh, no matter where they are, to uh, have uh, low-cost um, internet access around the world. So no matter where you are, as long as you, as long as you can receive this signal, um, you can get access to the internet. So um, it kind of makes you think about the future, at least if you think like I do. If, if, if Elon's dreams of our Mars exploration come to fruition... Uh, maybe a transfer of information from planet to planet could be conducted using an array of satellites um, in a similar nature, where it's not just these giant hubs, but maybe an array of smaller satellites doing the work. These are pretty big arrays, too. Um, There's there's an article that was linked in here about um, their application to the FCC, which was um, endorsed by FCC Chairman Ajit Pai. Um, 
endorsing two large constellations of satellites is the wording that they used. <laughs> um, the first constellation that's going to be launched is going to be made up of 4,425 small satellites, calling for a second larger constellation in low Earth orbit around only 211 miles up, consisting of 7,518 7, satellites. So these are going to be large meshes, and it's going to be between... This, the first one is going to be between 684 miles and 823 miles above um, above the U.S. Which is relatively close it to is. Earth. Yeah. Yeah. So that will improve because currently we do have satellite internet systems, but they're fairly high up. And that uh, increases the response time that it takes because the signal needs to travel from Earth to the satellite and back down to Earth to whatever base station that it actually gives. And that mm -hmm. takes time because light can only travel at a certain speed. Yeah. Um, so if you put it closer to the Earth, that will prove that latency that has been an issue for these satellite services that are currently um, available now. I know Facebook has been uh, playing. They had they launched that um, autonomous airplane sort of thing that uh, has um, internet that gives internet access. Um, uh, Google has also been playing with this idea with their uh, loon project loon balloons mm -hmm. uh, that uh, provide this type of internet access access and elon is getting into this space as well it's kind of interesting and i think yeah. it'll be interesting to see if any of these satellites in the future are eventually equipped with 5g capability because that would um, open this whole field up to all kinds of players being able to rent this new infrastructure of satellites in space and that like it's it's i think it's cool i don't know i do too yeah i'm excited so, um see where but the future yeah takes this us. is definitely something that i'm looking forward to seeing and it's going to be um it'll be it looks like it'll be completely configured by the mid 2020s these two constellations yeah if the t if the test on wednesday goes successfully um it should be yeah as quoted by elon musk um, saying that he hopes to be beaming memes around the internet by the mid 2020s. <laughs> yeah, so that's Elon timeline. So add a couple years to that, hopefully, because <laughs> he never he never actually uh, matches any of the timelines he initially says. Yeah, but that's sort of like a, a, a joke between Elon Musk uh, fans that any timeline um, he says just add a couple, just at least six months to. It. <laughs> um maybe a year yeah i do kind of want to point out though that this article says that uh agit Pai, he endorsed the two satellite launches but he still must put in an application for a larger isp vision it's still a waiting decision there's always that reminder that the uh major ISPs still control everything for the FCC. yeah mm-hmm I mean, yeah, FCC controls because, right, it's, it's sending signals. So any FCC controls any signals that are sent through uh, the air. So that makes sort of sense. Um, yeah. Any communication sent through um, airspace. Um, so, of course, they got the approval from them. But um, I don't see why they would deny these type of requests as long as they match any regulations that there might be for doing this type of thing well it, it seems like they're just holding off on musk's actual isp application he put in 
as opposed mm, yeah. to just having the technology up there. Because I think right. the major like Verizon Comcast, they would want to see these satellites go up because they can rent the space, like theoretically. If SpaceX allows it. Right. I don't know if you want to. I don't want Comcast in space. I don't want. <laughs> <laughs> you might not have a choice, no. man. You might not have a choice. <laughs> Sounds like a Macbeth dramedy. Comcast in space. <laughs> also, like it could pens- like they could get because right now all of uh, the current Teslas have built-in internet connection, and right now they rely on AT and T's network. Uh, potentially in the future, once this launches, like they could just communicate with Elon's own satellites uh, and stop relying on AT and T signal um, completely, which could be yeah. huge in the future. And make it make all of the cars connected to the internet, which they are now, but uh, offer it through their own uh, ISP. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think that's everything for the show. Yeah. That it so, is. Wow! Look, it's a closer. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, for the podcast, um, we hope that you guys have enjoyed this week's show. Um, if you did. Feel free to reach out to us on any one of our many platforms via social media or RSS feed. Um, Feel free to leave us a review on one of iTunes, on Podbean, Facebook, or Stitcher. Um, We love getting reviews and reading them. And we've had a couple throughout our podcast history, but we always like to know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. And um, It's good for us to learn on what we need to do better. Um, yeah. As traffic outside reaches a height, they're honking. They're excited yeah. about the show. It's Honk true. if you like I for real. I've actually got that sign on my other window. You just can't see it. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so you can find us on. As for where to find us on those sites, you can find us on Podbean at industry40.podbean.com. You can find us on Google Play and iTunes at Industry 4.0, uh, Twitch. Facebook and Twitter at Industry40, all spelled out. We're finally um, getting to the point where we're high enough on those search results where you can find us just by looking for the logo at this point. Um, as for that, uh, we do have some other work that's being done by some of the members of this podcast. You can find, uh, if you like the the sick beats that happen at the beginning and end and in our earlier episodes at the middle point of the episodes, you can find them by produced by none other than Jeff Bedzinski at soundcloud.com slash the J bones. Um, there's this other guy who looks kind of like Jon Snow on the podcast. He takes really good <laughs> photos. His name is Ryan Thompson. Uh, you can find his photos in full raw quality on flickr.com slash Wayne R Thompson. Yeah. Also check out his Instagram because he's really close to a thousand followers. If you can yeah. get him over a thousand <laughs> followers on Instagram, I just checked his uh, account this morning. Not that I'm creeping or anything, but <laughs> it's like oh, the is close. <laughs> but you can find him as as for where because Irvin is not nice enough to state where you can find him on Instagram. Yeah. It's Wayne Ryan twenty one, um, and also uh, Irvin is also available on uh instagram as well he does some photography um at urban.lucas and that'll be in the show notes to find all these social media accounts so yeah that's this has been the the episode 39 almost into our 40s technically it is episode 40 but we started numbering correctly at zero instead of at one yep 
and uh, we're hitting we're hitting our midlife crisis. And, <laughs> and as a result, uh, Ryan and I are both wearing our our thunder shades right now. So, uh, if I if I may, to close out episode thirty nine from all of us here at I4O, all of us cool kids here at I4O. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs> <laughs>